All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Black Friday. Traditional right there with Mega Dave and also tradition, Duff McKagan and his world renowned joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Listen, my yoga instructor was drunk today. Yeah, put me in a very awkward position. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Amazing. A little drunk yoga after a big turkey dinner sounds good to me. We're thankful for Duff for delivering the laughs every week. And I'm thankful for everyone who's already booked their cabins for the Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Four Leaf Clover, setting sail from Miami to Nassau, March 14th to the 18th. Get your cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Come enjoy the vacation of a lifetime. And you can check out the uh, the entire lineup at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Of course, it's All Elite Wrestling. Mark Henry is the guest of honor. Mick Foley, Mickey James is the cruise director. Gallows and Anderson are hosting it. Brad Williams, the director of Laughs. King Haku, Swoggle, Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. Brutus, the barber, Beefcake. Uh, Mike Rotundo, Fozzie, Quiet Riot, Royal Bliss, Quarantine, Raven, uh, Jeff Dye, uh, Kate Quigley. The list is endless. Dave Schrader is going to be there with Darkness Radio. The talent is endless. The fun is endless. Come aboard. Book your cabin now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com and enjoy the vacation of a lifetime. And Fozzie's European tour starts Monday almost all completely sold out there's only about 100 tickets left between Birmingham Bournemouth and uh, Newcastle but all the other gigs are sold out and we start at the legendary Cavern Club November 29th in Liverpool England home of the Beatles probably the most famous club of all time because this is the one that kickstarted their career. The Beatles played there 292 times. We've been there once uh, upcoming. But to celebrate Fozzie's upcoming amazing special gig, I've got two huge guests to share the incredible musical history of the Cavern Club. Clark Gilmore, who works at the Cavern Club, and Neil Brannan, manager of the Magical Mystery Tour in Liverpool. The knowledge and trivia and stories these two guys have about the Cavern and the Beatles' early days in Liverpool will blow your mind. They actually told a couple stories I'd never heard before. You hear about the Beatles' lunchtime shows and how those matinees-inspired songs like Lovely Rita and Paulatine Pam, two girls actually used to come to their shows. They talk about the role the Cavern Cub played in the Beatles' meeting manager, Brian Epstein, what happened at the Beatles' last ever show there, and what brought both Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr back to the Cavern long after the Beatles' breakup. You hear the history of the club, some of the other legendary artists and bands that played there, and some who weren't allowed to play the Cavern because it was considered to be the Beatles' house. So many great stories about the greatest band and rock and roll and one of the most famous if not the most famous venues in rock and roll history talk is jericho's trip to the cavern club starts now with clark gilmore and neil brannon here we go all right so one of the uh the coolest gigs that fozzy's played uh in a while uh, for many different reasons is the show that we had a chance to do at the cavern club now the cavern club i was thinking about this earlier today it's either the most famous rock and roll club in the world or in tandem with the Whiskey A Go-Go in Los Angeles. I think they both have very... Uh, Neil's shaking his head. Clark and Neil are here from the Cavern Club. Let's just jump right in. You're, you're shaking your head, Neil. Why, why is that? What? Whiskey A Who-Who? What's the Whiskey A Go-Go? <laughs> what, what's Whiskey A Go-Go? Whiskey A What-What? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's that? Is that a club where like someone's played in the past? Well, it is a famous club in the United States, obviously. But okay, it, so a famous club in the United States. Okay. What about CBGBs? 
Well, the uh, CBGB's is, is gone now, though. That would, that would yeah. be up there, too, though. It's a famous place where bands kind of made their their way. But obviously, the Cavern Club is, is, is the most famous of all because the, the greatest rock and roll band of all time basically cut their teeth. Uh, I'm talking about the Beatles, of course, in the Cavern Club. Just to go right into it, Neil, why, why do you feel the Cavern Club has the most name value and is the most famous club in the entire world? Only because we use the Beatles as the main band who played at the Cavern. But it's not just about the Beatles. When you when you go back into the early days and you, you look at people who've played on that wall of fame, you've got the Beatles, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Mersey Beats, the Searchers, people like that. There's also bands that people don't ever associate with the Cavern, likes of Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Elton John, Rolling Stones, oh, The wow. Who, Queen, Wilson Pickett, Benny King, The Drifters, Stevie Wonder, only 15 years old when he played at the Cavern. That only takes you up to the mid-70s. And then in today's day, Adele... Jake Bug, Oasis, the Arctic Monkeys, Arctic Monkeys, people like that. It's the whiskey a go go. What? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, all right, the Beatles did play there, they reckon, 292 times. Wow. Just before, so Neil, what exactly is your affiliation to the Cavern Club? You, you run the tour? Or? I've been a DJ at the Cavern Club since 1994. So 27 years as a DJ and 21 years on the Magical Mystery Tour bus. Are they still paying? They still paying you? Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and and some people still call it a job. <laughs> you know I mean? Right, right, right. And how about you, Clark? Well, I've been working here six years, so I help uh, run the sort of live music program that we do week to week. But before that, I've been playing the Cavern for probably another five or six years. Before that, mm. and before that, before that, I used to come here as a kid <laughs> with my dad, who was a Paul McCartney impersonator, which is how I ended up. Being a you know massive Beatles fan, I've known Clark since he was about eight years old. Oh my goodness, that's great! As a customer, as a customer of the club, as a customer. Well, I, I didn't have any money, so I couldn't have been the customer. <laughs> but you know. coming with his with his with his parents and, and family and that. So and his dad his dad played at the Cavern more times than most bands. I yeah, think. probably. Yeah. And Clark, was it your idea to book Fozzie at the Cavern Club? Well, I can't take full credit for it because it was actually a, a friend of mine who is a big Fozzie fan and a wrestling figure collector who told me and said, oh, you know, Fozzie are playing in Manchester. You should try and get them to play the Cavern Club. And I just thought, okay, I'll humor him and send the email off. And uh, here we are, two weeks away. And uh, I think there's only 16 tickets left. Maybe you have to edit that. It's sold out. We'll, we'll be sold out. We'll be sold <laughs> out. <laughs> we sold out by the time we get here, two weeks' time. So. But once again, it's such a when when I got the our manager said we have an offer to play the Cavern Club. I'm like, dude, when? Just book it. Let's do it. Because of of the history of it, I'm also a huge Beatles fan as well. Everybody says that, but my first band that I ever got into huge at nine years old was the Beatles, and not just got into them. I had all the books. I knew who Magic Alex was. I knew who Jerry and the and the Pacemakers were, and the Mercy Side and the Mercy Beat and all that stuff. So the Cavern Club means a lot to me from a lifetime standpoint as as well as just not just as rock and roll history. It's, it's part of the history of, of my life too. So to get a chance to play it is a huge honor and to be on that stage. But let's kind of talk a little bit about the history of the Cavern Club and kind of go through it because Neil, you mentioned all the bands that played there, but there's a couple Cavern Clubs. I know this is kind of a, a remodeled version, but let's talk about the Cavern Club and its relationship to Liverpool and how it began. How long have you got? <laughs> it's, it's a long and complicated history. We'll, we'll do the we'll do the condensed, yeah. simplified version because I, I know it's it is hard to understand. But the cavern is 
where the cavern was. There's an, an argument all the time. The cavern isn't the same place. It's a replica. It's not a replica. You can't build a replica in the same place as the original. Ah, uh, yeah. You can only rebuild. It's been rebuilt on its original site. Okay? Right. So the cavern opened in 1957 as a jazz club. 16th of January, 1957, as a jazz club. It then developed to, into the, one of the, the premier jazz clubs in the country. Skiffle music came in, which predated rock and roll. So skiffle for you guys would be a mixture of uh, Southern American and Cajun style music with household instruments. Banjos, Banjos, watchboards, pots yeah. and pans, things like that. The Quarrymen performed at the Cavern in 1957. McCartney didn't perform at the Cavern until 58, but then it developed into rock and roll. So then rock and roll obviously took over the world. Mm -hmm. The Cavern then carried on. The Beatles stopped playing in 63, but the Cavern carried on until 66. In 66, it was extended, became a bigger club, with a new, seven, new owner, wasn't it? With a new owner. There was a few new owners, eight owners over the, over the years. Um, the cavern eventually closed in 73 because the building above street level was going to be demolished. The cavern being a basement was just filled in with the rubble from the building above. Mm -hmm. It stayed like that until 81. In 81, it was excavated, rebuilt, reopened in 84 on the same site, same address, 15,000 the original bricks. But the whole club, instead of running that way, now runs that way. <laughs> so 90 degrees it's being turned, but it takes up the same airspace. In 57, the address was 8 to 10 Matthew Street. In 66, when it was extended, it was 8 to 10 Matthew Street. And today, the address is still 8 to 10 Matthew Street. So if anyone tells you the cavern isn't the cavern, just get them in a headlock and keep them. Edo's <laughs> quite a few. How many holes do you know again? Uh, it used to be 1,004, but that was it's, it's down to about a 127 right now, probably. It's been a while. He, knew, he, knows, he knows a few holes. Like, he can do a few headlocks. I've been married twice. I know a few. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting you said that the Cavern was, was a jazz club, uh, and at first rock and roll was kind of frowned upon. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, the original owner, uh, a guy called Alan Sittner, had visited France a few times on family holidays. And then as he got older on his own, and he fell in love with this club in, in Paris called uh, Le Caveau de la Huchette, which is basically, you know, the Cavern Hut. And when he came back to Liverpool, he decided he was going to open his own club called the Cavern Club. So the Cavern that we've got now isn't a, a replica, but it is a replica of another Cavern Club that originated in France. And that place is still going as well. Yeah. Wow. But Skiffle was really the the catalyst for it all. You know, Lonnie Donegan was a guy here, and he he had a couple of hits, and everybody who was anybody wanted to start a rock and roll, a Skiffle band, whether it was they had a guitar or a banjo, and if you couldn't play that, it was pots and pans, washboards, and then a year later, when Elvis released Heartbreak Hotel, the world just changed in Liverpool, especially being on the side of the the Atlantic. You get all the the ships coming in, so they get all the import records and Skiffle overnight turned into rock and roll and these these kids were playing skipper was kind of allowed because a lot of skipper bands had jazzers in it them. Was, uh, jazz uh, influences yeah, yeah. like you know decent drummers or a double bass player but once rock and roll started to creep in the owner of the club didn't like it they'd send notes up to the stage saying cut out the rock yeah, and roll. stop playing rock and roll it's a jazz club <laughs> but eventually once once rock and roll took hold there was no stopping it the guy who actually owned uh, owned the club to begin with alan sittner he he didn't really talk about the cavern once he sold it to Ray McFall, who sort of ushered in the rock and roll, the Mersey beat, the Beatles era. He sort of washed his hands of it because he was a jazzer and he, he couldn't stand the rock and roll and didn't like what it became. So it, he was just kind of gutted about it, really, wasn't he? Yeah, you can feel the influences when you look at 
the likes of Paul McCartney, his dad, Jim, mm-hmm. who had his own jazz band, the Jim Mac Jazz Band. You can go back to listening to, if you read about what his favourite songs are, and you've got the likes of um, Humphrey Littleton, Bad Penny Blues. You play that now, and you think, well, McCartney's listening to this at home. It's virtually, I wouldn't say identical. No, you can't, but it's uh, there's, heavily, a, there's, heavily a, there's a heavily yeah. influence on Lady uh, Madonna. Lady Madonna. Yeah. It's just, you listen to the two songs. You can hear that for sure, right? 100%. As uh, John Lennon calls it, Paul's granny music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the uh, non-sweary version of that quotation. <laughs> Talk is Jericho is supported by one of my dad's favorite Christmas gifts, the Skylight Frame. We got my dad a Skylight Frame last Christmas and he loves it. And my kids love it as much as my dad does because the Skylight is a touch screen photo frame that you can email pictures to and they appear on the frame in seconds. My kids love surprising my dad with pictures and he loves how the photos just show up like magic on the frame. We've been doing it all year. We gave the frame to my dad because we couldn't travel to see him because of the pandemic. He's in Canada and they've been under pretty strict lockdown for most of the year. So the Skylight Frame lets him see what we've been up to and it's just another way for all of us to stay connected very easy to use the setup takes less than 60 seconds and you don't need to be a tech genius to figure it out it looks like a real photo frame as well has an awesome 10 inch touch screen you can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent the photo and if you don't love your skylight they'll give you a full refund 100 satisfaction guaranteed you can also preload the skylight with photos before you give it to the grandparents or whoever and then you can surprise them all year long by emailing new photos to the skylight anytime from anywhere and right now you can get ten dollars off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com and use my promo code jericho just go to skylightframe.com use my promo code jericho to get 10 bucks off the purchase of a skylight frame that's s-k-y-l-i-g-h-t-f-r-a-m-e.com and use the code jericho so let's talk about the Beatles' the history in there. It's funny because I, I had heard the story before about how John busted out Don't Be Cruel early on in their residency and the guy sent the note of enough of the bloody rock and roll or whatever it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. But let's talk about because you mentioned, Neil, that they played the Cavern Club how many times? 265? What did you say it was? 292. According to Bob Wooler's records, it was 292 times. I think that's the official number that that, the, that's that, in print. Yeah. But there'll be shows that they didn't do. There'll be shows that they ended up doing yeah. because someone else dropped out. So I always try and just put it around 300 about, times. Yeah, around 300. You know? Well, you see the famous footage, the black and white playing you know, some other girl or whatever it is with the, you know, they're all bouncing and the place is packed. But tell us about the early days of that. That's the only footage of the Beatles at the Cavern. Amazing, right? Is it something 33 seconds yeah. or something? It's crazy. Wow. I think they did two takes. Two takes. Granada Television. Yeah, Ringo's first days as a Beatle. Yeah, and you think they played there all those times, and there's only one recording of them playing in the cavern. And it's only 30-odd seconds. That's it. It's crazy. They, I mean, they first played the cavern on the 9th of February, 61. As the Beatles. As the yeah. Beatles. And you think... And you think three years later, the 9th of February, 64, they're on Ed Sullivan. Right. Three years from the, the first the gig. Day, yeah. From the first thing to the day, three years, they're on Ed Sullivan, playing in front of 73 million people on TV. Their last gig at the Cavern was 3rd of August, 63. So they played the Cavern 292 times in just over two, two years, two, two and a half, half years. years. Yeah. 292 times in two and a half years. It's like almost every second day. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of those would be like you do a lunchtime session. Do a lunchtime, evening. In the evening, yeah. And the following lunchtime, you know, it's crazy. That's why the cavern is so synonymous with the Beatles. It was 
their house. Mm-hmm. I, I had a conversation with Tom Jones a couple of years back. And said, did you ever get to play at the cavern? He said, no, that was the Beatles' place. Mm. I wasn't allowed to play at the cavern. That was the Beatles' place. We'd love to have had Tom Jones play at the cavern, but he said, no, I wasn't allowed to. It was the Beatles' place. 292 times in two and a half years. It's remarkable. Crazy. So talk a little bit about some of the stories that happened when they were playing, because obviously they start in 61, like you said, and they're growing their fan base. You know, by 63, they, they were fairly popular throughout Europe and the UK, but still always basing themselves out of Liverpool, playing these gigs at the Caverns. Yeah, the, la- the last gigs was almost like a, a homecoming thing, wasn't it? By that point, they'd already been touring the UK. Beatlemania had started to sort of take hold. But in the early days, they would just turn up in, in leather trousers, leather jackets, uh, there's a famous story where George Harrison wasn't allowed in or something because he looked so scruffy. Yeah, they, would, they would eat their lunch on stage. They would swear. They'd <laughs> tell jokes. They would, And then the big thing that changed it all was when they met Brian Epstein, the manager who owned a record store at the bottom of the roads. The, the funny thing is it's the same date as your birthday. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the, that's the day that Brian Epstein met the Beatles. And that was when they finally got proper serious manager with a bit of money, probably what? upper middle class, you know, privately educated, yeah. family owned a business. He saw that they they were going to be something and he's the one that then put them into suits and started, you know, negotiating the record contracts and and uh, he cleaned them up, he cleaned them up. He got them the gigs in in the states. He did mm-hmm. he got them gigs in theaters where people would look at a abandoned leathers to play the theater. When you look at the you know, he he joined them in 61. Mm-hmm. So 9 months after they'd started February 61, he's he's joining them in November 61. Them gigs were still because of Bob Buller. Yeah. Bob Buller was a local DJ who had his, his finger on the pulse. He knew the bands who were popular. He wasn't just a DJ at the cavern. He was doing all the gigs around the city. He was also one of the bookers um, when he was booking yeah, all the Yeah, he was booking the, the bands, but he was doing like the Hollyoak Ballroom. So when the guys had been out to Hamburg with Alan Williams and they cut the record My Bonnie with Tony Sheridan, although they were built as the Beat Brothers, they came back with a few copies and they handed them to Bob Buller. He handed them to all the DJs who were on the, the venues that they were playing in. So the kids started hearing My Bonnie. Then the kids start asking Brian Epstein, where can I get a copy of this My Bonnie? And that's when Brian Epstein went, never heard of it. He had a shop around the corner on Whitechapel, which was called NEMS. And he had a sign in the window which said, if we haven't got it, we'll get it for you within three days, guaranteed. So in October of 61, people start coming and asking for My Bonnie by this band. He'd never heard of them. It was explained to him, this band isn't called the Beat Brothers. It's actually the Beatles, and they play around the corner of the Cavern Club on Matthew Street. So the guy who initially ordered it was called Raymond Jones. Raymond Jones, yeah. There was then stories that Raymond Jones didn't really exist, but he did exist, and he actually came out, and he's no longer with us. Everything relating to the Cavern or the Beatles has got a myth. There's there's always a story and a myth. (laughs) Some people say someone used his name because they knew he was a customer. Some people say it was a customer. Some people say it didn't exist. So apparently he does. And he did come out and he did a story about how he, he did, he'd heard it in the Hollyoak Ballroom, blah, blah, blah. People started asking for the song. So Brian ordered the minimum amount of copies he could get, got it in, it sold out straight away. Got another load in, sold out straight away. And at that point he went, I need to find out more about this band. Mm-hmm. He takes that little walk around the cavern. Now when I say a little walk around the cavern, I'm talking like maybe 45 seconds. Yeah, it's, maybe pr- it's probably less than the walk in at say like, you know, WrestleMania or well, wrestling if, pay-per-view. If you're going to milk it, if you're going to milk it like maybe WD or Raw or something in Liverpool mm. seven years ago today, I remember someone milking his walking quite a bit. <laughs> it was literally just around the corner. He's walked in the cavern. 
Now, don't forget, Matthew Street at that point was not a tourist attraction. It was warehouses, fruit and veg warehouses. There was rubbish, disregarded fruit and vegetables over the floor. This guy's well-to-do. He's in a suit. He's watching his step. He's got to the cavern. He's walked in and instantly hit by the heat and the personalities on stage. The noise. The noise. That and the smell. Everything about <laughs> The cavern was not... It's not like walking into an air-conditioned bar. It was a cellar. It was the basement of a fruit and veg warehouse. It was damp. It was dark. It was smelly. It was sweaty. It was raucous. It was fantastic. It was notorious for... Uh, <laughs> it's a cavern. Loud yeah. rock and roll music. <laughs> they said sweat would drip, drip off, the, down the walls. off the ceiling, down it, the walls, you, you know, you, the condensation. It'd be splashing under, under your feet because it had the clay floor as well. So it was just dark and damp and hot and sweaty. And this band with this beat behind them and he walked in and he said he instantly fell in love with the four lads dressed in leather on stage. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. At the end of that gig, he speaks to them about becoming the manager. They explain that they've already got a manager called Alan Williams. Brian goes to see Alan Williams, says, I want to manage the Beatles. He said, you can have them. <laughs> They'll cause you nothing but problems. They're a pain us. You can have them. So he took over. Be my the guest. First, the first thing Brian did, he went round the corner to a place called Hesse's, which is a music store, and he settled a debt. Oh. They had debts for amps, guitars, microphones, leads. Yeah. And Things to show he was serious, he walked straight around there and he settled their debt. And that's when they went, oh, hang on. <laughs> this guy's serious. And that was it. That was the start of what we know now is to be the whole Beatlemania, the whole change in, in, in popular music and popular culture. So when you're talking about the, the clientele and the fans that were going to the Cavern Club, obviously you mentioned it's very hot, it's very humid. I'm sure there's a lot of girls there. Was the place always jam-packed? Was there ever any issues with the amount of people trying to get in? Didn't have anything such as health and safety back then. No, but a lot of the time in the lunchtime, it'd be people coming down on their lunch breaks. So it'd be people that worked in the offices in town. If you see the old photographs of the Cavern, you'll see that they're so much higher than the, the audience. Mm -hmm. And that's not because they were, the stage was so high. It's because people in the front and middle were actually sitting down in chairs eating their lunch. Oh, Because it was warehouses around them. It was the secretaries, the girls on the, on the telephones. They'd be coming down and eating their lunch, watching live music. As soon as yeah. lunchtime was over, that was it. All back out, the cavern closed. And the premises wasn't licensed, no. so you couldn't buy any alcohol until... One of the girls who became one of the most famous was, was a young girl called Pam. And she used to eat her sandwiches and she'd finish her sandwich and then she'd sit and pop the, poly the polythene. <laughs> and her name was Pam. Ah. You may have heard of her. Yeah. Polythene Pam <laughs> was one of the girls who used to sit. No shit. Yeah, she was good looking, but she looked like a man. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it came from, right? And she used to sit there. Same as lovely Rita. Lovely Rita was the girl who used to put a parking ticket on their van outside when they were playing at the cavern. She was the meter maid. So these things are, again, real stories, which obviously the Beatles became known for writing real songs about real places, real things, and real stories. So mm -hmm. it goes right back to the very early days at the cavern. It's amazing because yeah, there's so much Liverpool uh, locations and mysteries and myths and legends. So Polythene Pam fits right in with Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane and all those different stories that, that they wrote about. But the one I was talking about today, Penny Lane, Obviously, a Paul McCartney song, you know, John wrote Strawberry Fields Forever about, you know, his recollections. But the last verse of Penny Lane was pretty much written by John. Paul was stuck. Yeah. What, he said, you know, we used to be there every day. What do you think? The pretty nurse selling poppies from a tray was a friend of theirs. 
she ended up marrying John Lennon's best friend, didn't, didn't she? Pete Shotton. Yeah, she was a girl called Beth, and she wasn't actually a nurse. She was a, a Salvation Army volunteer, but they dressed very similar to the nurses because in Salvation Army uniform, and she used to sell the poppies for again what again today weird coincidence well i only mentioned that because it was in my mind today because of today's obviously so today is the day where you get poppies now i have to explain to the american tourists a lot and canadians no 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 we have poppies all the time in canada yeah but but (laughs) when they ask me what why would she have puppies in a tray it's like no not not puppies (laughs) not not baby dogs it was like the poppy poppies (laughs) because of the accent it gets lost it lost in translation again puppies in a tray yeah the puppies Thanks to NordVPN for supporting Talk is Jericho and for keeping my data and privacy protected from hackers. You guys know that I travel a lot. I'm always on the road with AEW and Fozzie and I have to use unsecure airport or hotel Wi-Fi all the time. And public Wi-Fi is notorious for being a hotbed for hackers to steal data. But I use NordVPN on my phone and my laptop and it protects me from hackers and gives me peace of mind when I'm on the road. And if you're wondering about that whole VPN slows down your internet speed, I've heard people complain about that well that doesn't happen with nordvpn because it's the fastest vpn in the world i don't have to sacrifice internet speed for better security with nordvpn my internet traffic is routed through a secure encrypted tunnel which protects my data and privacy and you can have nordvpn on up to six devices including a computer phone smart tv tablet and even your router you can stream movies and tv shows online with no bandwidth throttling and you can connect in just a single click if you're a gamer and a game isn't available in your country not a problem with nordvpn just change your virtual location and unlock your favorite games and nordvpn is a great holiday season deal happening right now just go to nordvpn.com slash tij or use the code tij to get up to 73 percent off your nordvpn plan plus a bonus gift that's the equivalent of buying a small cup of coffee every month a small price to pay for a premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content there's also a 30-day money-back guarantee if nordvpn is not for you so it's totally risk-free go to nordvpn.com slash tij or use promo code tij to get up to 73 percent off your nordvpn plan plus a bonus gift that's nordvpn.com slash tij or use the promo code tij so when uh, you mentioned that the Tom Jones said that he couldn't play there because it was the Beatles' place, so as we fast forward and, and at the end of you know in 1963 they play their last gig, they outgrow, but the Cavern Club now has a, a bigger name value because the Beatles have played, so other bands are, are, are now playing in there. Kind of who who picked up the crown after the Beatles left? Well, before you go there, just that last gig that they did at the Cavern has got a, a, such a funny story. Tell us about it. John didn't want to do it. John did not want to go. He said, we, you know, we'd left the cavern as heroes. We should not have come back. We did this. It was a little bit of a documentary done this about this couple of years back. And people were saying, well, I was there the day the Beatles played the cavern for the last time. And everyone was saying that John could be heard on stage saying, we shouldn't have done this. Something's going to go wrong. We left as heroes. We shouldn't have come back. And all you can hear is Paul saying, oh, don't be stupid, you know. You know <laughs> behave yourself. It's going to be great. We're, we're, we're heroes. They love us. They love us. And anyway, during the set, bang, all the electric goes, it's pitch black. Now, the cavern, don't forget, is so far underground, there's no light. (laughs) You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And all you heard is John saying, I told you something would go wrong. (laughs) So, here's a nice little story. McCartney 
had written a song when he was 14 years old. So he'd written the song in 1956. No one had ever heard it. He'd written it for his father. In the darkness, he goes, when I get older, lose my head many years. So he sings when I'm 64. Next thing, the lights come back on, the band do the show, they go down a storm, everyone still loves them. So McCartney's written that song in 1956. Hmm. Did it live for the first time a cappella in 63, but it still didn't get used for another few years after. So their last gig at the Cavern was chaos because all their power went, but they still left as heroes. What kind of a, a sound system would they have there at that time? What kind of like amplification are the Beatles using? Literally a, ru- a, vocal, one. <laughs> a vocal PA. <laughs> yeah. L- literally like what you've got as a hi-fi, not even as good as the hi-fi stereo system you've probably got in your house. So they would have had the, they would have had the amps, like the Vox amps. It was a vocal amps, PA then, with, yeah. with Vox amps. Would have been like the long, old yeah. school sort of... Well, literally a microphone in front of it. Mm. And that was it. You know, yeah. There was Very no primitive, no hung speakers around, no subwoofers underneath the stage. Not like the, no, not like not now, the stuff no. these these no, prima donnas use these we're spoiled, days. We're spoiled now. With, uh... You don't even need to be able to sing these days, do you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we watch them, don't we? We watch all these bands who've got all these effects pedals yeah. and things like that. They never had effects pedals. No. They had maybe a, a reverb pedal or whatever you call it. Yeah, the amps would have had a tremolo. A tremolo or, or something. Inbuilt like. reverb tanks and yeah. stuff like that. But no, it was but very... There was very... no uh, pedal boards out then. And, and no monitors where you can even probably even yeah. hear themselves. They're just going off of muscle memory, basically. Even, I mean, even when they were touring in, in the States and the world, they still didn't have monitors. So, you know, there would have been a lot of reverberation around the, the cellar because of the type of venue it was anyway. So it would have just been a sort of cacophony and noise. But when the Beatles stopped playing the Cavern, the next band to actually sort of take up the reins was a band from uh, Manchester, the Hollies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they started doing the lunchtime sessions, the Hollies. Not long after that, the Rolling Stones played their first gig at the Cavern in November 63. By the time that the Cavern booked them again, they were too big, they were too famous. So the Cavern booked them, but they had to move the gig across the Mersey to New Brighton and put it on at a bigger venue because they just couldn't contain the, the demand for tickets. So even though it was a cavern gig, it wasn't in the cavern, the second gig in, in Liverpool. So it would seem that the Beatles kind of broke open the doors, so to speak, on, on rock and roll, especially in Liverpool. Kind of explain the scene that was happening at the time. Well, they certainly created the, the cavern as a venue, didn't they? Yeah, and other venues started popping up so that, you know, there was like the... The Jacaranza, what, what's the one there? The, the Blue Angel. What's the one around the corner from here? North John Street or Stanley Street? The Iron Door. <laughs> the Iron Door. That's the one. The Iron Door. Thanks, Neil. But as a venue itself, the cavern became, if it was good enough for the Beatles, it's good enough for anyone. Right. So even 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 later on, oh, you yeah. mentioned the Stones. But well, that's 63 by 64. Yeah, yeah, so the, the Kinks played, were playing there. The know? Kinks, Small Faces, even up to 1970 when Queen made their debut yeah. at the cavern. So as a venue, the Cavern was world famous. It became a spot on the map that bands wanted to play because... But the music the in Liverpool wasn't just about no. the Cavern and, and that. Because you, you look at like the record that Jerry and the Pacemakers said, the first band to have the first three singles go to number one. That was a record that stayed until the Jackson 5 got their first five to number one. So Jerry and the Pacemakers worldwide were already more famous than the Beatles until... Beatlemania hmm. yeah until uh, so, I want to hold your hand Yeah, it was like a whole it wasn't just obviously our, our, our careers are more based around the Beatles and what they did to create the cavern that we look after now you know we are the custodians of the cavern and we try and keep that image going we did a show yesterday dedicated to how 
O'Brien had walked down the cavern and see. So Clark did Beatles, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Silla Black, the people who Brian looked after, not just the Beatles. So and Yeah, and Silla Black was working with like Bert Bacharach, you yeah. know, and, and this sort of thing. So but she started off as the cloakroom attendant in the cavern. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, we call her the hat check girl. So you'd walk in, you'd take your coat off, you'd hand it to a young girl, take Priscilla White at the time. She'd take your tickets, put you in your coat in the cloakroom, mm. and bands would get her up to do a guest spot. Oh, Scylla sings a little bit. Oh, she'd what get up you and do, do a song. <laughs> she'd get up and sing, and then before you knew it, she's... You know, and Brian signed, and she's become... A superstar. A superstar. Yeah. So, yeah, Scylla worked in the cavern in the cloakroom. One of the interesting things, though, after the sort of Mersey beat thing died down, because that, that only had a certain shelf life, because when you get into sort of 64, 65, the Beatles had moved on, and the likes of Jerry and the Pacemakers weren't a big band anymore. The Mersey beat thing was dying down. The Stones were going off to do their thing. The music was changing, so the Cavern sort of struggled to hold on to that identity, and it, it got into sort of blues. The person that owned it at the time, Ray McFall, he started to spend a lot of money on bringing blues artists over from america blues motown that sort of thing and yet you, you had the guys like what benny king played didn't he and yeah, um, yeah. wilson Pigger, benny king the drifters stevie wonder you know when so they all played when the benny king played the cavern he was like oh you know i love the beatles oh, now i know what it was like for the beatles so <laughs> you know this is benny king and when it reopened they sort of carried on that a little bit you had, you had like uh chuck berry played the cavern so they, they spent a lot of money bringing chuck berry you got to remember, back in the early 60s, the Beatles, the, the Mersey Beats, the Jerry and the Pacemakers, even the Kinks and the Stones were all playing Chuck Berry songs before they started writing their own songs. <laughs> and then fast forward five or six years, Chuck Berry's playing in the cavern. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the wrong way around, you know. <laughs> so what kind of like, uh, was there a dressing room at the time? Any type of backstage facilities? Like where would the Beatles uh, enter the stage from? They'd come on from the side of the stage, but in that room, According to the people that were there, there was just a couple of beer crates. Yeah, there was floor. a little room behind the stage. Wasn't little, there? little room. In the early days, it was literally just at the side of the stage. And then, because there was a room on the early photos of the cabin, you can see a doorway in the bricks at the back, but it had been bricked up to make it a stage. So at the side of the stage, as you're looking at the famous pictures of the Beatles, to the left hand side, that was the dressing room. So there was literally a little archway you go through, and there was a couple of beer crates on the floor. There was no rider. There was no dressing room. There was no unbelievable volants and refrigerator uh, and w- water cooler <laughs> and things like that. You know, there was there was a, a lamp on the wall and there was a couple of beer crates to sit on while you're waiting for your gig. <laughs> the thing is, they probably wouldn't spend much time in there because they'd be out. They'd be on the socialising you know, outside with the girls and sneaking in some alcohol. And... You, the only place you get a beer was down the road. The places to learn how the grapes. So they'd go down the grapes, and once you got drunk and got thrown out the grapes, you went around the corners of the White Star. That was the only two bars within 100 metres of the club. And they're still there, which and is great. St- and the boat's still there, which is great, yeah. But yeah, back then there was only, there was one bar on Matthew Street. Now I think it's 14. Now it is a completely different environment as to what it was back then. So if you, you mentioned that you could eat your lunch there, was there a kitchen around or? No, no. You'd bring it with you? No, you could bring it down with you, but the, the bar sold tea, coffee, Coca-Cola, which then became Pepsi. And there is other brands out there. <laughs> um, but they had this old pre-packed sandwiches wrapped in polythene. So a hamburger. What do you call that? Saran wrap? Is what? Saran wrap, yeah. Is that the equivalent? Yeah, polythene pound. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. You could buy a pre-made... Yeah, it was already made. Ham or cheese salad yeah. sandwich type thing, yeah. 
Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. After the Beatles played the, their last gig in, in 63, did any of the guys ever come back and play over the years, do a gig there? The first person to come back was Paul, wasn't it, in 68. So this is still while it's been run as a music venue. And he was in Liverpool. Paul bought a house for his dad, didn't he, on yeah. the Wirral? Yeah. And it, so he's, he comes back to Liverpool a lot. He always has. They, I love the fact you're asking these questions because we never talk about this stuff. <laughs> these little yeah, bits once, we forget about. Once the Beatle era is gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. So this was 1968. So, he, you know, he, he popped in and there was a, a band playing, weren't there? Curiosity uh, Shop. Curiosity Shop. We were rehearsing in the afternoon. Band called Curiosity Shop. Because Paul was there, it was like, oh. We've got to get a picture. We haven't got a camera. <laughs> so Alf Egan, I've had it yeah. time, was he sent his daughter, Deb, Debbie, Debbie, yeah. Debbie round to buy a camera from a shop around yeah. the corner. Comes back with his camera. Don't know how to work it. So Linda says, I'm a photographer. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to work it. So she took a collection of photographs of Alf and his daughter with... So not, only, yeah, not only have you got Paul McCartney back in the cavern, and then you've, you've got, got Linda McCartney taking the pictures. Taking the pictures, yeah. And the band got some pictures of Paul on stage. You've yeah. probably got them there, haven't you? I probably have. Um, yeah. We've got a co- This was our 60th anniversary book. I'll get you a copy when you get over it. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. These things we're talking history. about are all in here. Yeah, we're sorting out with a copy, but yeah, them pictures are great in 68 with Paul just popped in. There are rumours that George came back at some point, but it's unconfirmed. Yeah, and then uh, Ringo did come in in, I'm going to say, 92, 93. I was going to say 93. I think it is 93. You've probably got access to the footage. It was for the Disney Channel, and it was Ringo was coming home to do a tour. We knew nothing about it. It it wasn't... These these days, people phone up and they go, so-and-so's going to come in, they'd love to get a picture outside. There was no agents ringing up. So he comes down Matthew Street, he's got Zach with him, he's got his his stepfather, Harry Graves. who went on to play with the Who Oasis. Oasis, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So he's got Harry Graves with him, he was his stepfather, who who, basically Basically was his dad. His dad. dad. He walks up Matthew Street, he's showing them the Beatles shop. They go in the Beatles shop, the Beatles souvenirs shop. They go in there. (laughs) He has a look around, a few photographs are taken. He signs the wall. Then he goes up to the cavern, walks in. One of our DJs at the time, Steve, is on the phone going, there's some Ringo lookalike here and he wants to get some photographs on the stage. <laughs> all right. He looks a bit worse for wear, but he, yeah. you know. <laughs> he had a hat on, he had a ponytail at the time. He's like, oh, okay. Some Ringo wannabe. So anyway, he, when the footage came out, everyone was like, oh my God, Ringo did go to cavern. And he'd signed the wall, the brick wall. So obviously back then, these things were filmed like six months in advance. Yeah. You don't see so them for we months. We didn't know. You know. So one of our directors, Bill, is house in Florida, in Daytona, sees the footage on Disney and goes, make sure nobody cleans that wall. Ringo signed it. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, in the time that it had been filmed to when it actually got shown, the wall had been cleaned because some idiots had written his name all over it. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> So Ringo did sign our wall, but it was cleaned off. So, yeah. that, that story might not be 100% accurate, by the way, because it's been 20 years since I was told that story and a lot of beer has gone. But the other thing is, I think, you but, know, it's like 
you hear the story where they said, you know, don't clean off that wall. And then, you know, the, the cleaner's away for a week. And then they somebody, bring else, in, was somebody else yeah. comes in and says, oh, you know, wash the wall. But the big, big return was 1999. When it, that yeah. was when McCartney decided to do his big return to the cavern. It was going to be his last gig of the millennium, and he wanted to do it in yeah. Liverpool. So the, the long, cavern. the long story long was basically we got a phone call of Paul wants to play the cavern. Right, believe it when I see it, and it goes on a couple of. Anyway, this this time comes. It's nineteen ninety nine. Paul wants to play the cavern. Okay, contract is signed. It's sealed. It's delivered. It's happening. There was half a dozen of us who knew it was happening. Sworn to secrecy. If it gets out, it isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we're getting ready. It happens. December 14th, 1999, Paul comes down with a, a gang of musicians. They've only played together twice before, once for a charity show for Peter in the States and once in the studio to record the album. They then did a little gig on Parkinson, a TV show, Michael Parkinson. Like a chat where, show host. Where Paul announces that he's going to play at the Cavern. That means now the radio are on it, the news are on it, everyone is on it. The whole world's talking about Paul is coming back to the Cavern. So our phones are going off the hook. We've got everybody on the phone wanting tickets for this gig. We've got Madonna on the phone wanting tickets for this gig. <laughs> We've got presidents, prime ministers. We've got people, newspaper on the story about a guy who offered Bill, the guy who owns the company, he offered Bill a helicopter, his use of the house in Malibu for two weeks, and his wife <laughs> for a ticket <laughs> for No word of a lie. We've got, we're all on the phones. No, there's no tickets. No, there's no tickets. It's constant. It's the biggest gig of the millennium. Mm -hmm. And Paul comes back to play with Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd, Ian Pace from Deep Purple, Mick Green, Johnny Kent the Pirates, Pete Wingfield on keyboards, and Chris Hall on, on Squeezebox. Wow. The sound check was twice as long as the gig because <laughs> they hadn't played together. So the whole sound check was... They like, hadn't played together like, since they did the album or whatever. Yeah. So like, like there, it was hours. like a rehearsal. They were still going, like, what's, what's no, that? No, no, it doesn't go like that. It goes like this. What are you playing there? It's not that good. It's this good. And it's like, hang on, you're telling Dave Gilmore how to play. <laughs> and yeah, and McCartney's going, yeah, I am, because I'm Paul McCartney, and I told you to feel like... And all the songs that he played in that particular uh, gig were all covers, weren't all they? He only, he only played one yeah. one Beatles song? So I saw a song in there. Maybe, maybe you know, not done that, but, but forgotten about. Most, most of it was made up of the... It was the album he'd promised Linda he would do. The album of his favourite rock and roll songs. Okay. He'd promised Linda he'd do it. Yeah, like... So he, he did it. Run Devil Run was the album. And he did it live at the Cavern. Oh, my God. Wow. To be there was just phenomenal. I think I cried probably, say, six or seven songs just because I was watching Paul McCartney play at the Cavern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The most I mean, I, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't involved at that time. But well, I met him that day. Have I ever told you that story? <laughs> I, I met Paul for the first time that day. It was a <laughs> lovely occasion. People always say, you know, when you meet your heroes, you, you remember every every single second of it. I remember my first conversation with Paul McCartney like it happened yesterday. Yesterday? Hmm? Yesterday. <laughs> I, I put my hand out and I went, <laughs> and he said, what was that? And I went, <laughs> and he went, give us a cuddle. <laughs> put his arms around me and he gave me a squeeze uh -huh. feel better now and I went <sighs> and he squeezed me again and then then he went hi I'm Paul McCartney yeah. and I said hi I'm Neil <laughs> and that was it <laughs> have, you, have you ever met Paul McCartney? 
I have met him uh, one time at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Amazing. Same thing. I, I, I he was. We were watching Green Day together, and he started walking towards the bathroom, and I timed it to coincidentally meet in the middle. And he had a security guard with him, and I said, uh, "If you need help pr- protecting yourself from the ninjas." I thought you might be needing help I'll get you in back. the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's like if you if you need help, he had a security guard in front, but nobody be in the back. I'm like, if you need if you need anybody to help protect you from the ninjas, I got your back. And I'm like, oh, what yeah. am I saying, ninjas? Right. <laughs> so he's like, okay, cool. And then later on, I see him. There was a party afterwards, and he was sitting with uh, with Joe Walsh. And he got up to get some cheese and everyone was gathered around him. And like, this guy might just want to just hang out and just enjoy his cheese. So I go over again. I say, listen, Paul, if, if you need help keeping people away from me, I'll help you. And he goes, who are you, man? He goes, are, are you a cameraman or are you security? I don't know what he, why he, he thought I was a cameraman. <laughs> he goes, if I need any help with the ninjas, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> All I could think was like, he remembered me. You remember yeah, the ninjas? Right. My line worked. It worked. If I need help with the ninjas, I'll let you know. You know. Uh, no, but it's funny because that period of time, 99, is kind of where like I come into it because yeah. that album, Run Devil Run, which he performed at the Cavern, included a song called No Other Baby. And not long after it came out, Paul McCartney's people got in touch with my dad to you say... You ready for this, Chris? <laughs> you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you like to be Paul McCartney's stunt double... <laughs> <laughs> you know? so my dad goes well it wasn't stunt double it was body double body so, double. so it was Paul a, McCartney's making a, a video a music for a video. song yeah. for Noah the Baby yeah and instead of sitting in a rowing boat himself he employs yeah so it's, it's a music video a one man music video it's not a crowd there's nobody else it's just Paul McCartney in a studio on a rowing boat but they need someone to do the lighting shots someone to do the exactly. te- test the, the waves the wind so my dad got Hired as a Paul McCartney lookalike, I right. spent two days with Paul McCartney working with him. After that, my dad then was like Beatles tribute royalty. Then it was like, oh, he worked with Paul McCartney. Come and play the Cavern Club. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. that's how I went. But the the closest I ever got to Paul McCartney was the. Uh, well, you the, got the autograph from that day. Didn't well, you? I did he get an autograph. But he, he did him a little sign to Clark. No, I mean, I was lucky enough to see him at the Carpool Karaoke thing. You know, a few years ago, he came back to Liverpool and did that, and I. I stood outside that pub for hours. Didn't really know until the morning what was going on. Someone texted me going, Paul McCartney's in town. And so I was already in town at the, ironically, John Lennon exhibition that mm-hmm. Yoko Ono had put on. Uh, so we just stood outside for ages. Eventually, they let us in for the last few songs. At the end, he's at the front. And High then, five. That was it. And High then five. Not, not, not long after that, Paul announced he was doing a secret gig in Liverpool. He didn't tell anyone where it was going to be. Some of us knew where it was going to be, <laughs> but he, he announced he was going to do a secret gig and tickets will be announced tomorrow morning. So that morning, some people stood outside the cavern, some people stood outside the arena, some people stood outside his former school, wondering where the tickets were going to come from. And next thing, they announced that the tickets are available at the arena, but the gig is going to be at the cavern. Hmm. So everyone runs to the arena. The first, I think it was 80 people got two tickets or something. Yeah. And then they, they staggered it and they, they let a few people go and they were like, but it was very well done. It was like, they kept it to a nice number of, t- I can't remember the exact number of tickets. Probably about 200 on. in the end, I think. Yeah. But it was this for, for a secret gig. Obviously, myself and Clark were lucky enough to be there and it was Paul with his, with his normal band, his touring band. His current band. His yeah. current band that he's 20 odd years he's been with them now, hasn't he? Yeah. It wasn't a gig to promote the album as such, it was Egypt Station he brought yeah, out. Was it, it? it was in tandem with the album, it was but it wasn't, it, wasn't but it, really wasn't, about... it wasn't a show of the album. 
it was a show of Paul McCartney having fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I kind of felt like it's a gig maybe he wanted to do in '99, but it wasn't. It wasn't the cool yeah. thing to do. It, it wasn't. It wasn't 14 songs. Put it this way: it wasn't yeah. an album. Back in 1999, he wasn't doing legacy shows. He no. wasn't doing shows of his right. career. You know, he this was re- still doing things to be. This was well Wings, relevant. This you know, was Beatles. This was McCartney solo. This was Egypt Station. This was a bit of everything. Yeah, it, it, was, it like. was his current show, but with a few things that he doesn't normally do, which was yeah. nice. It was. It wasn't just because he played in Liverpool just in December before, and this was in July. This was the gig. I don't know whether you guys saw it in the states, but it was. It was shown on yeah, Christmas was, Day here. Right. Yeah. 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 And I purposely didn't watch it. Yeah, you didn't want to remember I, it differently. No, I didn't yeah. want to remember it differently to actually be in there. Mm. And I didn't watch it. I didn't even record it. I, I I was never bothered. If I never see that again, oh yeah, it was my, just, my wife's not, my wife's not going to listen to this. It was better than me kids being born. It was like <laughs> it, you know, honestly. Well, it was just put it this way: when I was offered the job to come and work here six years ago, in the back of your mind, you're going, "Work at the cavern, get to play at the cavern nearly every day, amazing." And in the back of your mind, you're going, "Maybe one, and maybe one day, and maybe." come back yeah. and only three years later I was like that's it he's <laughs> coming back but, but honestly you know, my favourite you... story from that day and this just shows you how kind of desensitised we are to it until we do this sort of thing in the sound check I'm standing at the bar sort of watching the sound check my boss has phoned up going we really need you to bring down this important thing to the club so I bring it down and he's like yeah that's just a faint so you just can get, get you in get you in to the sound check because <laughs> they take over the venue if, if Paul McCartney wants the cavern we give him the cavern yeah. His security, Mark and Jock and the guys, they take over. Yeah, we just facilitate. We, we are literally outside. If they want us to come in, we come in. It's their venue. Yeah. I'm, I'm standing at the bar watching the sound check, and uh, this sort of very smart-dressed guy comes up, and he stands behind the bar, and he gets out a little sort of analog camera, and he's taking pictures. And I look to the side, and it's uh, Paul McCartney's brother, Mike McGear, who <laughs> Mike in, his McGear, own, yeah. Yeah, in his own right is, you know, fantastic, you know, yeah, artist. It's, it's just our kid. But, yeah, our yeah. kid. So tell us uh, about some of the other more famous gigs at the Cavern, because you mentioned so many bands have played there and such a mix. I know even Black Sabbath played there and you mentioned The Who and you mentioned all these other bands. Was there any famous moments or stories that pop out from from the other acts that were there? I can only talk about gigs I've seen there. And to be honest, I've seen McCartney there in 99. I've seen McCartney there in 2018. And they're probably number three and number four on my favorite gigs of the Cavern. What's your one and two? Bo Diddley. Live at the Cavern. Wow. Was absolutely phenomenal. 70 years old, played for four hours, nonstop. An absolute amazing character. And the other one would be Lonnie Donegan, hmm. who both Paul and George were members of the Lonnie Donegan fan club. He played the Cavern. I think he was 70 at the time, maybe even I think slightly older. I was having a look earlier on. I think it was the 40th anniversary or something of the day that Rock Island Line came out or something. So it was... You know, he was the guy that started off this transformation from a jazz club to a rock and roll venue, and it was well, me, on, it was on that anniversary. Yeah, of that but meeting, meeting the out. guy, meeting Lonnie Donegan, did the same thing with both of them actually, with Lonnie Donegan and Bo Diddley. Uh, went to a cafe across the road, did the sound check, went to a cafe across the road, sat and had a sandwich and some soup. I sat and had a sandwich and soup with Bo Diddley. <laughs> I had a sandwich and soup with Lonnie Donegan, the guy who. Paul McCartney wanted to be like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's phenomenal. And both of these guys, even though they were at like 70, 71 years old, both played continuous for four hours. I mean, Lonnie Donegan, we gave Lonnie Donegan a cavern denim jacket. He would not take it off. 
You're talking like 100 odd degrees in the cavern, and he would not take his jacket. He was so proud of it. Just phenomenal. I mean, the funny thing about the cavern is a lot of the people who played it in the 60s and sort of early 70s, they weren't standout gigs. They weren't memorable rock shows because that was them on their way up. It was always a stepping stone because you could only get 100 or 200 people in. So the shows that become legendary now are more like what you're talking about coming back, you know. So sure, the only one that springs to mind for me is the Arctic Monkeys, who, you know, were a huge band here in 2000s. And they played the cavern the week before their first single came out. They actually promoted it themselves on yeah, they didn't MySpace. Have a, they hardly had a record deal. They were one of the first bands to really yeah. use the internet to gain a fan base before they were famous. And a week later, they could have sold, sold 10, 20,000 tickets. They you sold know. out the cavern in eight minutes. Hmm. They I, hadn't even had a single out yet. I, were you at that gig? No, I, well, I saw them in Glasgow. I was living in Glasgow at the time. I so was, I saw I was at, at that gig and I stood at the back of the bar with Bill Heckle, who owns the cavern. And Shannon McDonald, who we'd brought in to do the artwork for the Beatle themed hotel. And the three of us stood there like, this is just noise. Right. It was so loud. See, so he's a bit older than me. Face. I saw them on the same tour and I was like, <laughs> no, no, this is amazing. More because, of the, more because of the size of the venue. But one thing you noticed was every single person in that room knew every word to every song. Yeah. They were like the hardest core fans i've ever seen they were one, yeah, one of the first bands to really be famous online before they, they were famous, famous in their own with their own little group and then i said a yeah. week later i bet you look at on the dance floors number one straight to number one like bang months later band. album straight to number one huge but that's what's amazing about what the venue is now you know that's why it's great now because cavern city tours who are, who have owned the venue longer than anyone else you know years. you know they've earned, owned it 30 years now one of my favorite ones we got is um we had the three original members of the crickets oh, and yeah. the five original members of the comets on the same night yeah. wow that's cool i think the average age was about 130 something like that about <laughs> 1995 or something wasn't something it? like yeah. that and i'd booked them i've never worked as a booking agent before but i'd been offered them and unbelievable somebody said it's one of the funniest moments i remember from the cavern Somebody they were doing a bit of a QA session and they were doing one of the songs and he was the guitarist giving it all the fast fingers. And somebody said to him, How at your age can you still play like that? And this guy said, Because I'm 72 years old and I've played this every day for the last 50 years, so I can still play it. At that point, the drummer stands up and goes, You don't know jack shit. I'm 86 years old and you're only a kid. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> and they carried on. And it was the fact that these guys, they're so old, wearing the, the lovely thick wool suits and they're playing 30, 40 years ago. No change. The energy was, it was rock and roll. It's, it's still, there's something about the place as well, isn't it? The cavern yeah, just I, makes it. Well, it's like when Steve Van Zandt played here, he was on a tour. He was playing his stuff, his album. You know, he's in the E Street Band. He's, yeah. you know, famous actor when he played the cavern he was like sod that i'm not playing that stuff he wrote a new set list <laughs> and it was all beatles songs or songs that influenced the beatles or songs that the beatles played like you know the crickets they, yeah. they played crickets yeah. covers buddy holly covers chuck berry he wanted to play that sort of thing because he was in the cavern the same as joe bonamassa played the cavern when he came he did taxman you know he's like oh. everyone who comes wants to have their moment of being a beatle let me ask you this, though, like as a Liverpudlian. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get less Liverpudlian. I'm a mongrel. I'm a, I'm a, mongrel. I'm, I'm a nowhere man. But, but it, it's, it seems, though, like we played Liverpool 15 years ago, and I think I wore a Beatles shirt on stage and mentioned the Beatles, and people were kind of like, oh, f 
We know, we know the Beatles are from <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah, you like the Beatles. Like, does it get a little bit too much? Like, okay, do you really have to play Taxman Joe in the cavern? No, because it was Joe Bonamassa and he played Taxman like Taxman's never been played yeah. before. Of course. George Addison would have been sitting there going, mate, I think that's what <laughs> yeah. I wanted it to sound like. But I think things have changed a lot, though, haven't they? It's like when I started coming to Liverpool in the 90s and stuff, there was a bit of an, an oh, attitude of locals yeah, like, oh, the Beatles, yeah. you, know, you know, we've moved on. But I'd say in the last 20 years, it's come full circle now. And uh, most people now realise... It's a generational thing, yeah. isn't it? The, the kids now go, oh, OK. It's now not just that. Like, Liverpool was capital yeah. culture in 2008. And I think since, you know, the city's been regenerated because yeah. of that. The people, you know, the people who were here in the 80s who were living through a decline in Liverpool probably thought, well, you know, they never did anything for us, did they? They buggered off to London once they'd made some money. Well, that's where the music industry was based. Now the Beatles industry creates so many jobs. Yeah, brings in millions and millions of pounds a year. They did a, a, a financial study a few years back. I think an extra ninety-five million pounds is brought into the economy every year. Through yeah, Beatles tours. So when it's regurgitated through the economics, it's worth about three hundred million pounds. Nowadays, I think people go, you know what? They don't even have to be here but they still create something in Liverpool. Well, it's the history of the city, isn't it? It's, it's a history, legacy. It's, it's a the, culture. This is, yeah, this is what Liverpool is all... People come to Liverpool streets. for two reasons. You know, the two most famous clubs in the world, the Cavern Club and Liverpool Football Club. You know, so. yeah. There's a legacy there now, and it, it, it's appreciated. Just Paul McCartney turning up two weeks ago, three weeks ago, on the train station, just to go and see Linda's exhibition. Him and Stella, with the grandkids, on a train. Got off the train in the station Paul no can't just get, getting on a train no security <laughs> he just got off the train went to see the exhibition went to his house the other side of the river he got a local bus to the local shop wow and went back to the house I think he likes that though right he likes to be normal in Liverpool because yeah. from what I've heard and you guys would know people see Paul around Liverpool and after a while it's just oh there's Paul from Liverpool no one's really bugging him maybe right he doesn't live in Liverpool so for us here when he comes to Liverpool Liverpool is on the worldwide media again because some news story will run. Paul was spotted in Liverpool. Paul went to yeah. see his old house. He Paul comes over this. a lot there, doesn't he? He comes regularly. And when he comes, there's normally some sort of little story that pops up. That yeah. Like, I think you'll be surprised at how much it's changed. Well, you know, I was saying that you, you, you'll have been here since the last time you played. Yeah, I don't think I've been in Liverpool since maybe probably 2010, maybe 2013 at the... at the. So it's been almost 10 years, I'd say. 2014. 2014, okay, there you go. Seven years, right? Yeah. You did... You did Apparently did, Neil was at the show, weren't you? You did the WWE Raw at the arena in Liverpool. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Yeah, I we, don't, don't, we don't talk about WWE anymore. No, so, but I met. I've not, I've, I've not watched. I've not watched actually, Dynamite yet, so no spoilers. I actually <laughs> met. I actually met you that day. Oh wow! I'd been brought in to take the divas, the girls, <laughs> out on a tour in the afternoon with Foxy and the Bella Twins and people like that. Oh cool, yeah, yeah. And then we came to the arena in the evening, and I had me little me little boy with me. Literally, we stood next to Triple H and, and punched him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Some lovely pictures with the kids. But he's, then, he's done that for a lot of people. There. But then there was one of, the, one of the guys working on the on the show. One of the riggers. I'd, I'd become good friends with him, and he, he got us some tickets. And we were literally, we were sitting behind the commentators, and and you literally came and stood right there. I was far too close to you. <laughs> another bloke wants to be to another bloke <laughs> wearing those outfits that you guys wear so yeah we met uh, seven it was seven years ago today 
Oh, today? Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was it? It was me. Facebook memories this morning came up. Facebook memories seven years ago today was the at the arena. Yeah. So, so last couple of things, when you're talking about the, what the cavern is like today, you mentioned that there's a lot of you, there's DJs and all that stuff. Do bands come on tour and play the cavern just normally, like local bands or bigger bands, na- national bands? Is it a venue in Liverpool that people play regularly? We don't have uh, we don't have DJs anymore. No, we don't it's, have DJs it's anymore. It's all some of us are obsolete now. It's just it's just well, some have... some of you have moved on to bigger and better things like yeah. tour guide and stuff. But <laughs> this is kind of like what I do, isn't it? Because we have acoustic. Yeah, gigs. I look after the sort of we have resident gigs. Yeah. We've got we've got kind of two things. We've got the main stage that you go in and you see. It looks like you know the one that the Beatles played on the sixties one. That normally is our our own guys, resident artists. They're playing every day, all day every week and that's for the tourism side of things so covers, playing, isn't it? yeah they'll be playing beatles they'll be playing stones cavern related music yeah and then we've got the live lounge which is where paul mccartney played and his two appearances adele arctic monkeys all these people Diddley, and that's our sort of secondary stage where we can put on bigger gigs ticketed gigs tonight for instance we've got a doors tribute and then we have our house tribute band beetle band that play every friday and saturday the cavern club beatles but twice a month we have original band nights. And then on top of that, we will have stuff like, you know, yourself, Fozzy playing. But it's not really a venue that's on the map for touring shows. It's normally one off. So it'll be like tribute gigs or it'll be, you know, like a special event. Yeah, it we'll, can be if, if it's enough advanced. Yeah. Isn't it? it's, a lot of the time it's, it's either tribute shows or it's original nights. So we've got that flexibility we can do anything in that room we've, we've got like a brazilian samba band that come a couple of times we do charity things for mersey beat artists we do loads of stuff in, we, in that we, room we can do anything right we have uh, we'll, a re- we get a wrestling show in there that's my that's, <laughs> yeah you probably should i think we might have done that. <laughs> really <laughs> I've, seen I've seen a few jelly. haymakers, a few haymakers yeah, in there with jelly. <laughs> yeah i'm sure was it the one, is it the, the, the video that you just see where the guy's on stage and that other guy comes on stage and just trips them up? Uh, yeah. Jay was, Murray. Yeah. That was, uh, I was there that day. I was on just before him and I just finished. It was uh, it was a Sunday morning. The thing is, the guy who, who did it was just, he'd probably been out the night before, got in had a few pints and thought it, it was funny. It wasn't even a malicious thing. It was weird. It was just like... He just thought he was being... He just wanted to be center of attention. But luckily the guy was all right. And then he ran off stage and gave him a few haymakers. So. <laughs> Tuned him up. Yeah. <laughs> there is footage from the other side. Of, yeah. uh, it's not normally as dangerous as that. Don't worry. <laughs> I'd actually like to see someone try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can uh, protect us from the ninjas. <laughs> yes, exactly. Call back. <laughs> Last two questions for you. How important is the Cavern Club to the legacy and the history of Liverpool? For me, I think I know the Cavern Club is the centre of Beatles tourism in Liverpool. It's the number one destination in Liverpool. You get into Liverpool, it's the number eight landmark in the country. It's above, above Buckingham Palace, Buckingham Palace <laughs> oh, wow. on the TripAdvisor yeah. landmarks. So, Not just this year, no. for the last two, three, four, three, five four years. years something the, the top <laughs> ten, <laughs> number eight in the, the landmarks in yeah, England. The top ten landmarks in the UK, it was voted number eight and it's the only music venue or any kind. All the other ones are like stately homes, stately homes, castles, Edinburgh Castle, things like that. So when you come to Liverpool and someone says to you, I'm I'm in Liverpool for a day, you'll always hear, go to the cavern. That's the place because you get live music. You can go in there on a Tuesday at 11 o'clock 
and there's live music on, there's people having a drink, you meet people, you start talking about the Beatles, you start, where are you from? Italy, Brazil, Argentina, Japan. Within minutes, you're, in, you're, in, yeah. you're part of a family. Right. It's the centre of Beatles tourism and probably tourism in Liverpool. And it's the centre of the universe. Well, it kind of, it, it, <laughs> the strange thing for me now, like I've lived all over the world. I've been lucky or unlucky enough to live in England, Germany, America. And I've got friends all over the world. I lived in Scotland for a long part of my life. Liverpool is a destination. I don't get the chance to go back to Pittsburgh and visit my friends in Pittsburgh. I don't get a chance to go to Munich and visit my friends in Munich, but guaranteed on any given day, someone will walk into the cavern that I know from Scotland or Germany or America mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. because it's a destination and that's what's great about it. And people congregate here. Like today, we just, we met up with some friends we haven't seen, you know, for a few months and people that's just fair. kind of descend on it. It's like watering hole, gathering place, Mecca and it's, it's <laughs> pilgrimage. It's one of those things. I, I, I've travelled a fair bit. We went to Rio uh, about 15 years ago, 13 hours on a plane, gets off the plane, waiting for the luggage on the carousel. And the first thing I heard was, hey, magical mystery tour guy. <laughs> <laughs> and a Brazilian family coming up to me. We went to watch McCartney in Paris in 2008, I think it was. We get to the Stade de France. We go to watch the sound check. And the gang come up, hey, Neil, Bill, Ray, from the cabin. It's like, okay, yeah. Uh, it happens all over the world because people come to see us at the cavern and we're like, I had my honeymoon in Mexico five times in the same hotel over two weeks. I got recognized by the guy from the I cavern. I thought you said you had five honeymoons in Mexico. <laughs> Just the one. But yeah, you know, five people recognizing you from the cavern club. We're lucky, but I'm lucky because I get to see it from the outside a little bit because I've only been here six years. And it's when you start talking the to other people about it and you, and you try to explain to them what this place means to the world you know it's like it's, it's crazy it really it's we, we do a Beatles festival every year we've been doing it for over 30 years it's the last week of August that's one of the things I do help run the, the Beatles festival Neil is involved as soon as you say to people we're looking for bands it's like you've got 200 emails on the first day people going we're going to be there and that's just the bands that want to play then you've got the people who are going to take a week out of their year to travel to Liverpool. To come and hang out. It's right? amazing. It's like a big global family. It's mad. It, it, is, <laughs> it is very strange. Last question for you. What's your favorite Beatles song? I haven't got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we were talking earlier on about Elvis Costello, who's a local guy anyway, and he's popped into the cavern a few times. We're, we're trying to get him to play the cavern. And George, who's one of the owners, is a big Elvis Costello fan. And he said, what do you think his favorite album is? And we all, you know, uh, okay, he's quite into his pop, Hard Day's Night. Or, you know. Anyway, it was Revolver. Hmm. But you say, well, that's just your go-to answer. No one's got a favorite. So my my go-to answer is A Day in the Life. Mm. Just I just think it's a great culmination. I wouldn't say it's the song that I would put on first, but it's the song that I would go, it's right in the middle of their career. It's Lennon, it's that's, McCartney. That's the problem, isn't it? It's the mood, yeah. it's the vibe yeah. you're going through. But on another day, it'd be Please Please Me. You know? Yeah, ultimately, I would say my favourite Beatle composition is Alan Rigby hmm. because I just listen to it and go, my God, that is amazing. It's lush. But A Day in the Life is one that makes me think more Beatles. Yeah. Alan Rigby's more McCartney. For me, yeah, simple. My go-to is always I Want You, She's So Heavy. I just love that. Uh, but you're, you're, you're a rocker, aren't you? You love the rock. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got, you know, they go off into the little jazzy parts and Paul's bass is great. Yeah. 
But then you look at Can't Buy Me Love and she loves you and you think, oh, they're just... Well, she loves you. That's the pop songs. Perfect they are songs. just Perfect song. Amazing pop songs. Yes, absolutely. And then you look at Come Together and you think, well, there's John. Yeah, and then there's go, John. Then you go, you know, she's leaving home or... Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh... It's impossible to but say. No, yeah. You could no. debate it. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to do <laughs> another two hours now of just talking. We will, exactly. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do a Beatles one next time specifically. Uh, guys, it's been great talking to you and we're, once again, really excited to get this chance to play at the Cavern Club. And I can't wait. I'm super excited, yeah. Part of my history, rock and roll history, my own personal goals and everything in between. What do you drink? Just so we know. I'm a vodka guy. So stock up with some vodka for me. It's, vodka with... It's Grey Goose. Grey Goose. You have vodka, ice, water, club soda, whatever you have there. I'm easy. But outside of the, the podcast, I, mean, I was telling you, I, I help run like a wrestling figure group. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... Is that... No, no, that's not it. Oh, that's no, not it. <laughs> um, it was my friend, Phil, uh, who's a big, you know, I'm a Bret Hart guy. That's my era. He's Chris Jericho. And he's like, he's the one who suggested it. But then I was like, oh, you know, shit, I've got to like... I've, got to get my head in the in the Christian so no so then I was like oh, I better read I better read a book so I've read like uh Mick Foley's book and Bret Hart so I read The Lion's Tale and just like within three pages you can just go this guy should have been a musician you know it's like <laughs> it's like I always wanted to be a fo- footballer a wrestler or a beetle and like you know <laughs> I wasn't I was shit at football you know I can't wrestle so I've had to be a beetle you know? you're pretty <laughs> close that's pretty close man well thank you guys we're excited to come down it's yeah. gonna be awesome we appreciate it a very big thank you to everybody for coming along here today and making it, well, you know, you made the show anyway, wonderful audience.